So in Houston, I'm John Herter. It's the 25th day of October. Great as always to have you along, everybody. In a nutshell, From the Experts is a virtual networking accelerator helping leaders across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. Yeah, it's like a TED Talk with interactive discussion. So what's in it for you? Our promise, if everything goes well, your curiosity sparked, new ideas accelerate action, and you may have helped yourself or somebody else solve a problem, make that connection, reach the opportunity faster. So today you're on the Energy Transition Channel in partnership with the Endeavor Institute. We know making authentic connections with stakeholders in the energy transition community has never been more important to your business and it's essential to reach a low carbon sustainable energy future together. So folks, help me welcome guest expert, Stephanie Dvark. Stephanie comes to us with more than 15 years experience in the energy services sector, recently moving from a large energy services company to Bristow, global provider leader in innovation and sustainable vertical flight solutions. She recently joined the company's director of sustainability with a simple first objective on her plate to produce the company's first sustainability report. With that published this last July, now maturing the sustainability strategy and narrative in the vertical flight space is top of her focus. And by the way, she's got a bachelor's in civil engineering and a master's in sustainability. So Stephanie, I really enjoyed the little bit of time, a little glimpse that I have into your journey on what it's like creating a robust emission sustainability strategy that has to consider so many players, lots of unknowns and moving parts. So really grateful to have you on the show today and look forward to our discussion. Thanks, John. Yeah, I'm very excited too. Um, I've, I think this is such a unique platform. I've really enjoyed the previous conversations with the other speakers. So um, I'm going to take the nudge from them and I'm going to try to talk as little as possible so that um, we can hear a lot more feedback from um, everybody else on the call. So, yeah, just, I mean, you set it up beautifully. Um, what's on my mind right now, what's on my plate is, you know, creating this realistic and sound environmental sustainability strategy, um, which is thinking about how do we appropriately combine those actions that are directly within our sphere of influence with those actions that maybe, you know, we, we have indirect influence over um, or just a little bit. So um, before I even start going into some of the things that we're thinking about, I'd love to get the audience's perspective. Um, for me, this was an industry shift. So moving from energy services, I'm now in the aviation space. And um, so I, I, I'm working my way inside, but still feel, you know, I, I need to know a bit more about it. So I'd love to know your perspective. What do you think just with all the headlines um, with the things you've seen in the news, what do you think is the number one area of opportunity that the aviation industry needs to act on? You know, what's the biggest tool? So we'd love you guys to just click on this um, and we'll talk about, you know, how these all play into our strategy a little bit later on. So yeah, that'll get left up there until you click an answer, but I'll just 
keep jumping into it. And again, like I said, um, I hope to talk just a little bit and I'm going to share the spotlight because actually um, I've got uh, a couple of colleagues on the line who are with our advanced um, air mobility team, which when I joined Bristow and learned about all of our functions, um, this is a really interesting and unique uh, part of our business strategy. So just to set the stage for you guys, um, we're doing what probably most, uh, most people are doing right now, which is thinking about how do we reduce our carbon emissions um, while also growing our business. So I think the answer there is it's a simple one. It's we need to provide our service at a low, lower carbon intensive footprint. So simple solution, but how do we actually do that? So, you know, the things that come to mind that are the common levers that all aviation, all transportation companies are thinking about, uh, you know, we're on this list. It's sustainable aviation fuel use. It is thinking about um, those, those operational and uh, efficiency initiatives. So this is things like planning and logistics. Um, how do we take off and, and work our landing procedures? And then, you know, in conjunction, how do we look at the future of what aircraft is even going to look like? So I'd like to pop up a, um, a graph for you guys. I found this from the FAA and I've seen it in a couple of presentations. Hopefully, are you seeing the, the full screen? Looks like we have uh, uh, notes on there too. Okay. Hopefully this is right. There you go. So let me just walk you through what this looks like, because this, you know, I think this is the crux of the of, of what the whole aviation industry is looking at. So we've got a trajectory for as it sits in 2019, which is when this was uh, research was done. What happens to our emissions with the growth rate that the aviation industry is expecting? So that's here at the top. This red dotted line you can see is, you know, hitting off the page. So then if we work our way down the right-hand side, these are the commonly used levers that, that the aviation industry is really thinking about um, that are going to take us all the way down to net zero, which net zero ambitions by 2050. This is kind of a common industry used timeline. Um, this is what, you know, what the aviation industry has set. So the major ones here is um, what happens when we deploy new aircraft technology? What happens, uh, how much more can we lower it when we see operational improvements? Then you see a huge part of this curve is SAF uptake. So SAF, um, if you're not in the aviation space, is sustainable aviation fuel. This is, um, it's basically a biofuel. It's basically cooking oil. And this um, has a life cycle emissions difference of about an 80% reduction of carbon emissions um, over the life cycle. It doesn't actually burn any differently within our aircraft, um, but because of, of the use of it and the creation of it and the supply, um, that's where you see the, the big life cycle emissions reduction. Right now, um, all of these major levers that we're thinking about um, all of these major levers, um, these all have challenges, but huge opportunities within them. So thinking about SAF, we have a huge um, 
huge issue with supply right now. So globally, and depending on where you operate regionally, Bristow is a global company. And uh, there are particular regions where we are already implementing um, SAF and are able to incorporate that into our customer offerings. Um, but this is directly dictated by when that's available. Um, then for operational efficiencies, this is the one that really is within our direct control. So when we're thinking about what are we going to do as far as short, medium, and long-term strategy, these that we can directly control are absolutely the ones that we can you know, put all of our eggs in, in the basket because we're gonna be able to get those done. So thinking, you know, and we've already done a ton in just the last 18 months. Um, if you have or haven't seen our sustainability report, please go look it up. Um, we'll drop it into the chat, but that outlines a lot of the initiatives that we're really focusing on um, related to those procedures, to aircraft maintenance, um, and things where we're gonna realize a little bit more carbon emissions reductions here and there. Now the third one, this is the one that I really wanted to talk about today. I think, again, from my perspective, jumping into the industry, I think is the most fascinating, um, but it's not my expertise area, which is why, it, why I will introduce a colleague um, to talk a little bit more about AAM, which is Advanced Air Mobility. So Bristow is an operator. We're not an OEM or a manufacturer, but we certainly have expertise um, close to or that touches the entire um, life cycle operation of our aircraft. So we've got these different levels of partnerships with these OEMs or manufacturers who have these ambitious strategies um, and these pretty cool ideas on these new futuristic aircraft. So um, I'm gonna let one of my colleagues really dive into this a little bit more. Um, and then, you know, we'll go back to what's the big question, which is how do we really create a genuine strategy when so much of this um, sits outside of our, our sphere of control, really? So Brian Willows, who I hope is on the line. Yeah, he is. I'm here. Great. Is one of our key members of our AAM team. We've also got um, another colleague on the line, which is Mandy Nelson. Mandy, I'll kick it over to you if anyone gives me hard questions. <laughs> so, um, Brian, I'd love if you could give us an outline of, you know, what you do with the AAM um, and how it works with those partnerships and with, um, you know, how does Bristow consider these? You know, what's our strategy? Absolutely. Thanks, Stephanie. And, and thanks, everybody, for having us today. Um, happy to talk about AAM. Um, Bristow has been in aviation for over 70 years. Uh, we've, we've done pretty much everything you can do with a helicopter. And so today, as we look at the future, we see a future um, with the electrification of aircraft. And Mandy and I work really closely together full time in the advanced air mobility space. Before I go too far, I forget to say this. Wendy, I'm also a fan of hydrogen planes, um, but we're not there yet. Um, so today, Bristow has partnerships with seven um, OEM manufacturers. Um, there are basically three are in the urban air mobility space, three are in the regional air mobility space, and then we have a partnership with a company called Elroy Air, which is a unmanned cargo drone. Um, and as we look at our partnerships, most of the, most of what we're doing with with these manufacturers is helping them ensure that they're building an aircraft that is usable once they build it. 
right? So um, as we look at our fleet today, we fly helicopters from four passengers all the way up to 19 passenger helicopters. Um, and we're, we see it kind of the same way with, with advanced air mobility, although we won't be to 19 passengers for years, different ranges and different aircraft can be used for different missions. So you pick the right tool for the right mission. You don't, if you have one aircraft, everything, you know, if you just like having a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? We've, I think we've all heard that before. Bristow sees the early adoption of advanced air mobility aircraft or electric aircraft most beneficial at the regional air mobility distance. And to just to kind of break it down, regional air mobility, just for the sake of this conversation, is really anything over about 100 miles. Um, as we look at our early use cases, um, the infrastructure for the urban air mobility that you've probably heard of a lot, um, the Jobies, Archers, um, some of those companies that, that really are focusing on the intercity uh, transportation, moving people from the suburbs to the city centers or around the city. The infrastructure for that today is still to be built and, and it's still a ways up. When we look at regional air mobility, so these longer ranges, so intra-city, excuse me, um, we can use what's already here. We can use airports that are already existing um, and, and not have to wait on the infrastructure for that. Um, the early, so there, as we look at kind of how we're going to move into this space too, the, the, just to finish this out is we, we can also build it out regional air mobility wise, we can do it with our existing customer base. Most of what Bristow does today is oil and gas flying. We fly people from Homa, Louisiana in the United States out into the Gulf. Um, but those people don't live in Homa. They mostly live somewhere within 250 miles of Homa and they get in their Ford F-250 every two weeks and they go drive it to Homa and they park their truck there, they fly offshore, they work and they come back. So we can help the oil companies with whom they are employed to reduce their carbon emissions, get their employees there safer and quicker. And that's, um, that's how we plan to initially adopt um, the advanced aircraft. And I think- um, Yeah, so, so Brian, question for you and Stephanie. I mean, a lot of this is about relationships, right? And, and the struggle when you have to deal with, well, you're not just dealing with your own company, you're dealing with your whole value chain, right? And, um, you know, from your position on the front end, uh, you know, in developing this relationship, what, what, you know, what's working and what's not in that area? Maybe, Stephanie, you were planning on addressing that in your comments. I'm not sure. Um, well, from the commercial side, I don't really see any issues. Our, our partners that we work with today, um, the, the OEMs, even our supply chain, some of our vendors that, that, that go into this are all pretty forward leaning in the space. Um, the, the long pole in the tent today is the regulatory landscape. Um, there are some challenges with certifying aircraft, with certifying pilots, um, and I'm, I could spend two hours talking about this, I won't. Um, that's, I would say that the biggest struggle that we have is on the regulatory side. And, uh, but I would also say that our director of strategic relationships might, might have a different point of that. And that's Mandy Nelson. So she and I work together closely. I don't Mandy, if you've got something on the relationship side that I'm not thinking of. Kind of models that are working, different types of partnerships maybe that you tried uh, in this difficult scenario, Mandy? Sorry, say that again, John. Yeah, so just kind of building on that, one of the struggles is 
uh, everybody has to uh, play together, right? To make sense of, uh, you know, reducing emissions, OEMs, yeah. service providers, and so on. So thinking about partnerships that, uh, that you've tried that are working and, you know, maybe that are less effective and why. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the, the benefits and one of the values that Bristow brings, right, is we have all these existing relationships with large energy companies today that are looking to decrease their carbon emissions. And we really act as a connector, right? We can connect the existing energy companies today with new and emerging technologies that allow them to achieve their sustainability ambitions, right? And so in, in a lot of ways, I see Bristow as, a, as an aggregator and as a deliverer of new solutions to, to the energy companies. Now on the operator specific side, um, you know, Bristow has taken uh, a pretty aggressive role in the traditional helicopter industry of leaning forward on safety, technology and innovation and bringing together various operators to raise the bar on safety. And I think we could do that in the advanced air mobility space with our various partners in the sustainability space, right? Not just safety, but in sustainability. So we can bring together other operators to raise the bar on safety, raise the bar on sustainability and deliver new solutions worldwide. Um, and then the other thing I would say is, you know, with our expertise in, in launching new types of aircraft solutions, we just have a lot of experience in kind of looking in the nooks and crannies and validating what other OEMs are doing and seeing which ones are actually going to be commercially viable. So in that case, we're a valuable consultant to people who might use these technologies as well. Right. Interesting. So a question that's popped up. So in that same line of thinking, what, what is the best way to influence uh, your supply chain, your suppliers, that uh, the due diligence isn't just a nice to have or an extra thing that they got to do, but it's, it's vital to the economy as a whole. So, uh, yeah, I'll bring that back around because my, my answer to your question earlier was, you know, so AAM is a small part of Bristow's overall strategy. We still, you know, we do exactly as Brian described, we get people out to offshore oil rigs as our, our primary service right now. Um, we also have some really big um, emergency response contracts in the UK. So that's the bread and butter of what we do. And I think um, how we put this together in a, um, and a really genuine, realistic strategy and give that story to our investors because you know, we're, we're a publicly traded company and that's what we rely on. We've got to make sure that we're answering all of those questions. And um, while Bristow is very confident in the direction AEM will take, whatever that may be long-term, but you know, we're confident it is going to evolve. Um, we have to make sure that we're putting together the right story for uh, how, how much resources we're allocating to that and, and how much uh, we're focusing on the other parts of our business that are, del are delivering returns right now. So I think a big part of us being able to continue this AAM appropriately and, and Mandy and Brian and the rest of the team being able to be dedicated to it is the fact that we also you know, we're not ignoring the, the big part of what we're doing, which is, you know, doing the work day in and day out that, that we have current contracts for. So that's the story we're really, we put together and we make sure is the consistent messaging to those who have, you know, invested in, in Bristow and had interest in us for, for decades. Um, but but the, the final message is we are confident that AAM is going to be a big part of it. So, 
you know, we're happy to play a part in, in influencing and helping. And as Mandy just put it really well, like consulting with these OEMs as they, they think about these um, commercially available solutions that they're trying to work out. Right. So that, that uh, the question that I just put out there that, that blends really well into you do have to consult and communicate in different types of partnerships so that you can get your hands around what is, uh, what are targets that are meaningful with all these unknowns. So I think that having the, the AAM that's coming down the road and you don't really know exactly when it's coming in makes it also extremely difficult. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's, um, it's an important part I think of uh, and I'd love to hear anyone's perspective of how they're evaluating their short, medium, and long-term timelines and strategies for their sustainability stories. Um, because again, those things that we can directly control, we can give a pretty confident timeline on. So those things, we can do our calculations. We know how much fuel we can um, reduce from, from certain actions, and we'll do that, and we'll set a short target. Um, these things, you know, if you ask me, are we going to have any of these solutions available in 2030 or 2040? You know, that's, I don't think anyone knows and tangibly, you know, can make a good guess at any of those dates. Um, so that's why that's in our long-term strategy. And that's where I think all companies are kind of in the same boat for these things that aren't available yet. You put them in your plan and you hope they work out, but you have to make contingencies um, in the meantime. Right, so another question. Do customers and other stakeholders even care that you quantify emission reduction targets uh, when you're relatively small amount of their scope three, right? That's, that's exactly the question I asked when I came to this um, company and in this space, knowing that you know, to our customers, again, we're, we're their employees commuting, so it's their scope three. And you're absolutely right. Um, it is lost in rounding for them. But for us, it's our aviation fuel for delivering our services is our scope one, and it's 99% of our emissions baseline. So, you know, when we answer questionnaires from CDP, from SASB, from GRI, and we get ourselves get ranked on our environmental strategy, um, our customers care about that. And they care about how do you compare against your competitors or your peers um, and what you're doing. And yeah, maybe they don't care so much how we play into their carbon emissions journey, but um, you, I think that those that hold themselves accountable and have a plan, um, we, you know, you're seen as more credible and seen as a good sustainability partner for those future initiatives with, um, with those customers in the long run. Yeah, I would add to that, Stephanie, um, the, I work with in our partnerships side of the business and values matter. Values absolutely matter. They matter to our energy customers that are drilling offshore. They also matter to new aviation OEM suppliers. People want to partner with other partners who share their values, and we see increased messaging around that. And so whether or not we're a rounding era at the end of the day, I think uh, matters less that people want to partner with those that share their values around sustainability, around accessibility, around all of that. Yeah, good way to put it. So another thing, uh, last one, and then maybe we'll open it up if uh, when you, you finish with your comments, it says what role does sustainable, 
SAF, Sustainable Aviation Fuel, play in your short and medium term sustainability strategy? Um, yeah, it's there. <laughs> it plays a role. <laughs> and that's what I can firmly say. Um, we, again, from my introduction, where it is available and where there is supply, where we have that, um, you know, from the supply chain where it's available, we have worked closely with customers and been able to integrate that into our offering really quickly. So in the UK, we have a couple of customers where we have, we are currently using SAF in every single helicopter run. So, you know, we're going to work on those percentages and work on increasing that to, um, the standard max is about 50% SAF um, per run. We're sitting at about 10% right now. So we've got a lot of room, a lot of opportunity to grow. Um, and we're, we have our, our feet on the ground really involved in SAF user groups and SAF um, forums and, and those um, groups in the different areas and different countries that are really pushing for uh, where can we get this supply from? Um, that's going to be a lot driven by customers because they're the ones ultimately who have the money who are going to be paying for it. Um, what we can do is make sure that our aircraft are able to use it. Uh, and we've really demonstrated that um, with a lot of demos and test runs and things like that last year. So um, we've got our ear to the ground and we're, we're hopeful and, and helpful in any way we can to get SAF uptick. Uh, in all in the 10 or so countries in which we operate. Awesome. Any uh, last uh, comments before we open it up to the floor? No, I'd love for anyone to jump in now. If, you know, can you draw any parallels to what we're talking about here um, for your situation? And, and how would you address putting these kind of mid and long-term opportunities into your own strategy? Right on. So we've got Lots of interesting folks, people from the innovation side, from the money side, obviously a lot of different technical folks, uh, experts in this area. And uh, Marie, I was wondering, would you mind sharing from your perspective at Baker Hughes, you're, you're in the energy transition business, right? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what you're hearing here. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if uh, you can see me, did that work? Yeah, I can't. I can't see myself, but I can see you, John. You. Yeah. Um, great. So, and I don't know if the camera's. I'm, it's a little crazy today. Anyways, um, so I would say that a lot of what I heard uh, today is about collaboration and about aligning to partners that really have um, the same focus that you have in mind. And I think that that could not be iterated uh, more. It is so important for a company to show that they are not only um, aspiring to do better and to drive innovation and to drive efficiency, but also to um, align with what uh, like-minded companies so that together, you know, we are stronger, right? So I would say that specific to Baker Hughes, um, very early on, we realized that um, in our in our own business, where we have 50% of our revenue coming in from oil and gas um, equipment and services, and 50% of our revenue is our really on on focusing on um, turbo machinery and and positioning ourselves in the hydrogen space, and also developing innovation and technology across the growth areas. In those two domains. 
It's important to uh, partner with our customers to understand what they want, what their appetite is, how can we um, align with their key business needs, and also making sure that as we're looking at stakeholders, we're not just looking at shareholders or investors, we're looking at the communities that we provide energy for, partnering with our customers, we're looking at our key suppliers, we're looking at, so really it's this collaborative effort that Stephanie and, and members of, of, of uh, Bristow have, have touched on. So that aligns quite well with what Baker Hughes is doing and uh, we look at the environmental and social and governance metrics and we bucket them um, with a accountable leader at the top. So within Baker Hughes, we say people, planet, and principles. And uh, really it's about having HR focused on a lot of those programs and initiatives within the people bucket. Um, for planet, it's about having making sure that it's not just the E of HSE that's driving environmental uh, that environmental and planet lens, but it's really operations at the deepest level of our company. And then last but not least for principles, it's about making sure that we have um, a, a strong foundation of how our customer is built. And that's really being driven by our legal functions. So people, planet and principles and principles is P-L-E-S. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> no, as, a, as opposed to like a, there's a different word, which is principle with, with AL, but uh, just to clarify. That's nice. So. Awesome. So any feedback uh, to Marie on what she said or anybody else? Something? Yeah. yeah. So Marie, thank you for that. I um, agree. And you mentioned something that I didn't even talk about, um, which was, you know, our suppliers. So our own um, who help us deliver our own services. Um, and I agree. It's not about, you know, we can do, our very best and everything that's within our control. But, you know, as Mandy said too, people, customers value values. So it is about bringing people along for the ride. So I think um, that collaboration you talked about is a really important part of our strategy because as we learn things, we want to make, you know, and, and choose different paths in our sustainability strategy. It is about disseminating that appropriately and helping those people who help us deliver our services, you know, bring them along for the ride. So you you put that really well. Anybody else? We've got folks uh, from different uh, parts of the business. Uh, Nathan, Nathan, are you out there? I, I don't see you on your screen, but I'm hoping you can hear me. What, what's your take on this, Nathan Frisbee? Oh gosh, sorry for the delay. Hi, everyone. I was out here listening. Um, you know, in my experience at, at Schlumberger, it's a, it's a little bit different than the, the focused market that Steph has described. So we've got a, a larger portfolio of stuff and doing a, a fairly comprehensive footprint inventory of all of that stuff helped us make some choices on what we have the power to do something about and, and what we really don't. So uh, looking at tactics to, to uh, you know, improve the, the big hitters is, is sort of the direction that we're taking. But the conversation made me think of something else. I think there are, are places where uh, we can collaborate with our, our competitors, you know, without uh, 
violating any SEC guidelines. But if there's if there are a group of competitors that have a similar offering, um, and there's really nothing in the supplier pipeline to help us overcome an electrification challenge or a, a change to fuel or something like that, you know, I think um, I think there's some work to be done where we can sort of move the supply chain more together than we we could by by uh, waiting around for the you know the right technology to sort of pop up. Thanks for that, Nathan. Feedback for Nathan. Hey, so uh, Kirk, you're coming from the maritime side. What what's your uh, what's your view on this? I, I, f I find quite some similarities with what Stephanie was mentioning, um, at least from my perspective. I'm very focused on understanding kind of the maritime industry's path to demonstration for a lot of these different alternative fuels, hydrogen being one in my in my on my radar specifically. But um, and, and Stephanie actually answered this question in her response, talking about uh, you know, investing in, in pilot projects and showing that showing feasibility within their um, core business um, is something that I'm really interested in exploring within certain aspects of the maritime industry. I think it's um, it's been it's a really interesting ecosystem that moves a little slower um, than the aviation industry, or but it's it's getting there and i find it really fascinating to be able to find ways to show and develop demonstration projects utilizing these fuels whether it be with a research institution at a lab bench scale or piloting something even like smaller and then you know future proofing that design so it can actually scale to demonstration is something that i find really interesting and challenging but but interesting <laughs> That, that's a really good way to put it. I agree with those, you know, the the incremental steps. And I didn't say that exactly, but case studies is, yeah, I think you're exactly right there because demonstration of being able to to utilize solutions on a scaled level and then, you know, how that could be scaled appropriately to fit their needs. Um, that's what everybody wants before before they dive in, you know, bigger companies are, of course, risk averse yeah. um, for good reason. And that's why they're so successful. So um, that's, you know, why we've got to be, I guess I'd say, careful and cognizant of what resources we do put into those. But but I also think there's got to be appetite to try. So when, when we're looking at SAF, when we do look at these first commercially available AAM solutions, um, we are excited to to try those and um, and work with those who also have that appetite to to try things and put together a case study and, and see what works. Um, Jostein Tverdal, are you there? I can see that you're here. Hey, I good, am here. Hey, good today. So, Norwegian-based company uh, in oil and gas. Uh, what are you hearing? What what's your experience here that you want to share? I think for us, we are a global service company uh, looking at ourselves. Most of our emissions comes from sending people around the, around the world. Um, so I think we, we find it much easier to try to help our, our clients reduce their emissions than, than uh, reducing our own. Um, 
but we're also of course looking at how we're delivering our services uh, and and how we uh, by doing that differently um, can can reduce our own emissions and travel less and uh, and actually in some of our regions we also try to long term try to to hire people that live closer to where we mobilize from and and, and those type of uh, of uh, of things um, but as a Norwegian company, there's there's at least a big focus on this. We expect that uh, going forward, we'll we'll see this as a part of the uh, the requirements from our customers. Um, we delivered our first uh, sustainability report this year. Uh, we made our first sustainability roadmap back in 2016. So we have kind of been working with this in the in the background for a while. Um, but also we're, we're smaller privately owned company so but as we're as we're growing this becomes increasingly important right thanks for that uh kartik are you able to turn on your screen i know you're with impacts and you're probably working on a lot of different things as an operator here in this region but in regards to this topic what what comes to your mind what are you what are you seeing I can hear uh, you had it off. It's now muted. There you go. Hey, okay. good to have you. What's your take? Uh, I'm very sorry, actually, I couldn't hear you for a minute. So if you can draft your question back. Yeah, right. So you're here with a, an operator with impacts, right? And right. you've been listening to the conversation. How, how does this ring in your ears? What are you hearing from this that makes sense for your business? I think it's it's a common theme across you know most uh, whether you're an you know an oil and gas operating company or if you're a major supplier or a service provider. Uh, I think the key question still resonates is that everybody is struggling to understand how the how do you manage the transition purely from an execution standpoint in each organization and try to fit the strategies for each company based on where they sit what their ability to allocate both capital and people uh, into it as much as, you know, where do you prioritize your focus uh, with your other business priorities, right? So I think nothing is different. I think it's every company is in the same boat. Uh, probably, you know, we look at uh, some of the areas of focus of energy transition a little bit different than maybe some other, you know, uh, companies out there. But uh, overall, the agenda remains the same. I think one strategy that it's uh it's i think it's starting to emerge quite actively that i would think is going to be about creating uh some sort of a consortium style working model where it means is that you know you can have a so-called an, an independent body where you know some companies may be able to fund a major chunk of their research efforts or some testing efforts into any technologies, whereas somebody else can kind of buy into it, kind of like carbon credit program, but right. think of it in a more interesting way to accelerate some of the deployment efforts that we are seeing mm -hmm. in the industry today. And uh, so that is something that uh, Inpex is pretty actively, you know, focusing on in terms of participating. We have participated in quite a few. Uh, and I think that's something that we think it's going to be much more of our operational tactical you know model that we think we can kind of emerge in that space 
Uh, I think certain working models have kind of had some issues in terms of IP and you know how do we try to commercialize that and how does it fit back? But I think uh, I think there's been a pretty good working examples right now in the industry. Thank you very much. Any feedback for Karthik on uh, what he said? Yeah, that that's a great point. Um, again, something that I missed, but something that Bristow is um, you know actively involved in is consortium is a great word. It's so I mean associations and organizations that we're a part of. Um, that is another degree or another, you know, part of our sphere of influence. And we have been able to bring these common challenges that all of the other members of these associations have to the table and say, you know, suggest and really lead on, let's tackle this. What can we all do together? So um, a few organizations were a part of um, Heli Offshore and, um, HIA, so some of these big international agencies, maybe not dedicated to sustainability, but um, you know, all the same, they're they're they have these memberships of people who are going through the same things right now. So um, there's always strength in numbers and being able to to um, move the dial a bit. So where we see our agendas collide. Um, that is a great platform that's usually neutral, unbiased. We've got, you know, some unbiased parties to lead the conversation. So that's been a great starting point for us for a lot of these discussions. Well, thanks, Stephanie. That'll, uh, I think that's going to be the last word. Obviously, we can go deeper and, and everybody on the show will get each other's contact information. Uh, so how was the talk and discussion today? Uh, please take the 30-second FTE survey that's now being dropped in the chat box. It's important to let us know. Uh, on today's post-show notes, everyone will get each other's contact info, and it's going to get to your mailbox a little bit later today. So be sure and take time to connect with everybody that came to this talk. Uh, next up on the Energy Transition Channel, November 15th, well, are you ready for a world without gas stations? Steve Sharp, automotive expert, and executive in residence with the Endeavor Institute lays out this paradigm shift, exploring how organizations might be impacted by the disappearance of internal combustion engines. What strategic options are being considered by leaders positioning their businesses to adapt and thrive? Learn more and register at our website, fte.network. Folks, we're out of time. Thanks once again, Stephanie, and to all of you, for making time to connect and learn on the Energy Transition Channel. Thanks again for coming.